good to see everybody again. It's good to be where we are today because I'm very excited. I hope you're excited too. I feel, I, feel like, um, I feel like I did when I was in fourth grade. I had an awesome fourth grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Payne, and she was also very smart because what she would do is after uh, all of the fourth graders were out running around at recess, uh, kind of playing around, getting all hot and sweaty, when the bell would ring, she had us trained we would bolt into that school and run into the classroom and sit down with our hot little sweaty bodies as fast as we could because we had from then until 1 o'clock for story time. And Mrs. Payne would read to us every day, and she picked the most awesome books. We didn't want to miss it. So all the other kids were straggling and daddling in in our class. We were in there sitting down with our sweaty bodies sitting on the, on the desks. And she would read things like the, Where the Red Fern Grows. Some of you probably have heard of that book. Awesome book for kids. Um, Little House on the Prairie read the whole series through. I couldn't wait uh, to see what was going to happen next and get in there. And that, that's kind of how I feel right now. It's how I feel right now. Not the hot and sweaty part so much, but uh, the excitement about waiting to see what's going to happen next because the story is about to unfold here uh, at Mountain, and it's going to be absolutely epic. I feel like a kid in my seat. I hope you do too, ready for something cool uh, to happen. Next weekend, we begin this epic adventure walking through all of the major stories of the Bible from Genesis in the beginning all the way to the book of Revelation and everything in between. And today is kind of a prequel to that to kind of set things up so that we're ready to dive in um, starting tomorrow as we begin our reading. Now, let's just do a little survey here. Um, uh, Even though I'm coming to you uh, on video here, look around the room and do the survey. Raise your hand if you have a Bible in your house. Go ahead and raise your hand. You can see that. Probably most everyone's hand is up, right? Um, Yes. Uh, the surveys say, statistics are that 92% of Americans have a Bible in their house. Most have three or four. Here's another statistic for you. Most don't really ever read it. Most don't read the Bible at all. We have them, but we don't really read them. And, and yet, a third truth is that surveys reveal that a lot of people want to. They're interested in understanding the Bible, hearing from the Bible, reading the Bible, but we really don't ever seem to get around to it. In fact, some have said it's really on uh, a lot of people's bucket list. How many of you have probably said to yourself at some point or another, ah, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. You know, I'm going to make that my goal. I'm going to read through, you know, I'm going to read a little bit every day. And, and you, you, maybe you started really, you know, great with a lot of enthusiasm. You got rolling and all of that. You got into Genesis and that was amazing and incredible. You got the creation and all of that stuff going on. You know, there's man and woman in darkness and light. There's naked people. You know, there's sin. There's, there's God putting a plan together to restore things. You got Noah and the ark and you got Joseph and all that stuff's just in Genesis. And then, and then you had Exodus, you got baby Moses, Ten Commandments, you got plagues in the Red Sea parting and all of that amazing stuff in, in, in Exodus. And, and then, and then you, you get to Leviticus and, and then Numbers and then you know, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy because it's just, it gets to be some hard slogging in there. And that, that's, been a, that's been a big abyss that a lot of would-be, I'm going to read through the Bible people have fallen into, the abyss of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy as we've tried to read through the whole Bible together. And let's be honest, sometimes the Bible's just kind of difficult. It just is. It's okay to say that. The language is sometimes awkward. 
Sometimes, um, you know, the, the connection between what the Bible is saying and my life is not always obvious to know how to make that connection and begin to think it's irrelevant. So that's one of the reasons we are so pumped about what we're going to be doing at Mountain together over the next season of our ministry together. And that is because Zondervan Publishing has taken God's Word and has provided this very cool kind of abridged format of the Bible, and it's called The Story. You've seen these books around. If you haven't, you want to make sure to pick yours up today. The Story is just a beautiful kind of abridged summary, not summary, but abridged version of the Bible from beginning to end. And here's one of the things that makes it kind of unique. Some of the verses, not, about 90% of what's in here is directly from the Bible. But there are parts of the Bible that are kind of repetitive where maybe the Bible authors would tell the same story more than once. And those tend to be removed from the story version. We're going to just tell it once and it's kind of abridged. And then periodically there are little italicized sections that are like summaries that kind of bridge from here to there. So instead of maybe telling all the stories of all of the series of multiple judges, it might tell the story of four or five and then say, and there were several more just like that. You get the idea. But 90% of what's in here, everything else, is the Bible itself. And so we want everyone to have one of these. Um, if you, if you haven't picked one up, pick one up today. We're gonna, we are going to study right out of it. We're going to read it together through the week. We're going to talk about it as we connect with some others. And on the weekend, I'll be referring to page numbers and so forth. And then if you want to know, well, where exactly is that in my Bible? It's all right there in the back. You can just reference it and find out exactly where it is so it'll be easy that way. What this does is it takes the greatest story ever told and it, and it makes it something that we can all kind of do together in a chronological fashion that I think you're going to find really, really exciting. You know, a lot of people don't realize the huge, huge impact of the Bible itself. Before we jump in to the story, to, to God's story, the Scriptures itself, it's worth reminding ourselves of a couple of things. First of all, about the huge impact that the Bible itself has. You know, one way you can just measure that, any book is just looking at how many copies are out there. You know, that tells you a lot. You know, book sales tell you a lot about its impact and its influence. Uh, some of you probably read the Twilight books. I won't ask you to show your hands, but some of you know those very popular books in the last few years. Um, the, 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 la the, the Twilight book, Breaking Dawn, sold 25 million books. That's astounding to me. 25 million books. That's huge. Until you put it up next to Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, and that sold 65 million copies. That's outstanding. Da Vinci Code came along and sold 85 million copies. Drop in the Bucket compared to Lord of the Rings, which sold 150 million copies. Lord of the Rings. That's, that's incredible. You can see how impactful they are. But what about in comparison to the Bible? Well, 150 million copies for Lord of the Rings. Guess what? <laughs> the Bible, every year, it's hard to track this exactly, but we know at least in just one year, 582 million copies, just in one year. And circulation the world over today is estimated at about 7.5 billion copies. There's no other book 
or literature or story that comes even close to that, and for good reason. We're not putting any other book down. We're just saying, man, there must be something to it. And if you're one of those people that's like, I wonder if this is really going to be worth my time, at least on the merits of 7.5 billion copies that ought to make you at least interested enough to hang around. Just another fact about the Bible that makes it sort of evident of its impact. Again, you look at just translations. Twilight series has been translated into 16 languages. Harry Potter outdoes Shakespeare 64 languages. But you know what? The Bible translators started you know, way back in the day with 1,700 languages, and now you can read the Bible or portions of the Bible in over 3,000 different languages. It's considered by that many people to be that important and that relevant. You'd have to say if you were a Martian, you know, zooming in here from Mars and trying to assess what's the most important story ever told, just looking at the the sheer numbers, you'd have to say this, this is a book that this planet considers the most important story ever told. And beyond that, we're going to have to decide as this story unfolds beyond the numbers of copies and the number of languages, you're going to need to decide where you stand in the story. You're going to need to decide where your story fits into God's story. And we're going to have opportunity to do that. So those are some of the reasons that we're so excited as we launch into this. One of the reasons that I'm excited about spending concerted time and energy now in the story, God's Word, is is a simple principle that we all probably have heard a coach or, or a mom or dad say to us at some time in life, and here it is, you are what you eat, right? You've heard that expression? Everybody say it with me. You are what you eat, right? So you are what you eat is, you know, physically we know what that means, Physically, if, if all you ever eat is, is carrots and, and celery, you're going to look like a piece of celery or, or turn yellow like a carrot or orange like a carrot, right? And, and, and if all you ever eat is Big Macs, you're going to look and resemble a Big Mac, you know? So you are what you eat is true. And, and, and in fact, it looks like it's true for this guy here. Take a look at, at this dude here uh, on the screen. You are what you eat. Yeah, that, that poor guy. I, I've never seen a guy that resembled his food more than that guy. So it's not, you are what you eat is not only true physically, it's true spiritually. Think about that. Think about what you're feeding yourself, what nourishment is coming into your mind and your, your heart and your soul, because it's true even more so spiritually, more dramatically evident spiritually that you are what you eat. Someone said one time, if you plant a thought, you will harvest an action. Plant a thought, you'll harvest an action. You plant that action, you will harvest a habit. If you plant that habit, you harvest your character. And when you plant your character, you harvest your soul and your destiny. And it all traces back and begins with what thoughts get planted. That has to do with what are you eating? 
What are you nourishing? Proverbs 23 says this, as a person thinks within himself, so is he. I can tell you who you are. You can tell who I am by what we feed on. Isn't that true? Your mind, your heart, it shapes who we become. When God had an important message for Ezekiel in the Old Testament, he told him to open up. Ezekiel said, what? He opened his mouth and God said, here, eat this book. Ezekiel chapter 3, fill your stomach with this. He was handing him God's own words. And Ezekiel said, when I ate it, it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. It's a poetic way of saying we're meant to be hungry for God's words. We're meant to be people who want to get our face out of Facebook so we can get our face into the book. So it would taste sweet as honey. That's what Psalm 119 is saying to us. Verse 103, how sweet are your words, O God, to my taste. They are sweeter than honey in my mouth. And Paul in the New Testament tells his young tells his young protege, Timothy, that if you really want to make it in this tough old world, what you really need to do is be nourished on the teachings and truth of Scripture, 1 Timothy 4, 6. And I heard a funny thing, I thought it was odd, about a a person who kind of took this all literally. Uh, He's an Ethiopian king named Menelik II, and he took this eating of God's Word literally. So much so that whenever he became sick, he would go to his Bible and he would tear out pages from his Bible and actually eat them. And um, he actually died in 1913 after devouring all of the book of Second Kings. <laughs> so when you hear that, you know, you may think, oh, that story's kind of, you know, hard to swallow or something. Uh, and you, and I, I got to admit, I kind of thought it was sort of dippy of the guy. But then I, I got to thinking there's another thing there, you know, and I got to asking myself, you know, what he was trying to do was probably live out this idea of really being hungry for God's Word. And so, as we begin this epic journey into this story, it's a great time for you to be asking yourself whether you are hungry for God's Word. If, if you've been going so long without it that you don't even miss it anymore. Or whether you've developed an appetite. Jesus said in, in Matthew 4, he said, people don't live by bread alone, physical bread, but we've we got to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need God's word to really live. Are you nourishing yourself on God's word? Job 23 says, I have treasured his words more than my own daily food. Friends, here, here we go. If you will... Um, Do your best to open up this book. It will open up the scriptures to you. And if you will at the same time open up your heart, if you do those two things, I can give you three things that will happen. If you open up this book and your heart, three things I think you can almost be guaranteed will happen. I want to talk about them here today. Number one, you will know God's story. You open your heart, you open this book, you're going to know God's story. And the fact is, you know what? A lot of people, a lot of us probably don't really know the story. A lot of people think they know the Bible, but they don't really know the Bible. It gets quoted and taken out of context all the time, but a lot of people really don't know the Bible very well. And, and isn't it going to be great just to kind of get it and figure out how all the random pieces we've maybe heard our whole life finally fit together into a puzzle, a mosaic that makes sense? Do you know where cleanliness is next to godliness is found in the Bible, for example? Do you know? Could you find that in your Bible? 
The answer is, no, you could not find it in your Bible because it's not in the Bible, but a lot of people think it is. By the end of the story, you're going to know that. Do you know how to find the book of Hezekiah in the Old Testament? Would you be able to go right to it? Well, I don't think you could because there isn't a book of Hezekiah in the Old Testament. Some of you knew that, some of you didn't. By the end of this, you're going to know it. And, 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 and we have all these kind of things like this that we're going to be able to sort of get past this, this concern of, you know, if we ever have a Bible trivia contest at a party that we're going to have some dry heaves. Instead, you might actually know the story. And that's what we want to be able to say is not that we would know details, but we're going to be able to know the story. You know, some things about the story really surprise a lot of people when they start learning about it. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Do you know that in the Bible there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus alone? 300 prophecies. The, the Bible goes out on a limb there, but has got these bold predictors and amazing prophetic accuracy. And the Bible sets itself up for failure by, by making these prophecies. But you know what? If even one of those prophecies was inaccurate, the dependability of the Bible would go way, 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 way down, wouldn't it? So we've got these 300 prophecies just about Jesus, about his lineage, details about what city, what manner of birth he would have, how he would die, and how he would rise from the dead hundreds of years before any of it actually transpired in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses recorded in historical documents. You know, several weeks ago, Lee Strobel um, wrote, he's the one who wrote Case for Christ. He wrote, uh, he, also I'll just mention, he's a former atheist. Um, who got his law degree from Yale and uh, spent 13 years as an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And he talks about when he was doing an investigation into Christianity, mostly to prove it false. And this evidence about prophecy kept cropping up, and it was impossible for him to ignore. He tells about a study that was done by some mathematics students who calculated the odds by chance, the chance that any human being throughout history could fulfill just eight of those ancient prophecies about the coming Messiah. Remember, there are 300 now, and they were investigating what are the odds of someone being able to fulfill eight of them. And they determined that the likelihood of anyone being able to fulfill eight is one chance, not in a million, not in a billion, not in a trillion, but one chance in 100 million billion. That's a big number. That's one with 17 zeros after it. I don't know if you've ever been to the casino, but that's pretty bad odds. So we've got instead the Bible with not one in eight, but 300 of them, all true and evident. The Bible, the Bible is painfully accurate also in, in what it says about you and me. And it's accurate about what it says about the world. It's accurate in what it says about life. And so that's one thing you'll know. You'll know God's story. You'll know what's in the story. You'll know some of the content. And that's an important thing. We've got to internalize some of that um, or we won't know the story. But the second thing, if you'll open your heart and open this book, you'll not only know God's story, more importantly, you will know the God of the story you will have an opportunity to come close to and have a real relationship with the author and perfecter, not only of the story, but of your story. Jesus himself 
God the Father and His Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, the whole story is God-breathed. God-breathed. It comes out of the mouth of God. It's the Scriptures, this story is, is so close to the mouth of God, you can smell His breath on it when you read these stories. And, and, and it's amazing because at the same time, it's, it's out of God's mouth, but God worked through humans. Like us, ordinary people, very flawed people, 40 approximately different writers on three different continents in, in at least three different languages over a period of fifteen or 1,600 years, all woven together in a beautiful, seamless story. God breathed. It's like God stooping down like a grandfather on one knee to his toddler grandchild to help her know who he is so she can look him in the eye. That's what God's given us in the Bible. He's, it's called revelation. He's revealed himself to us. He could have remained distant and aloof and untouchable and above human contact, but, but it's God's free opening of himself, letting us eavesdrop on him, letting us get inside God's head, letting us look over his shoulder into what he's thinking and reading his mail. We get a backstage total access pass into the mind and heart of God in the story. And when I realize that, it causes me and it should cause you to have a different kind of hunger for the word of God. Because it's God inviting us to have an intimate relationship, to do more than just learn the story, but to learn the God of the story and to know about Him. And a lot, lot long ago, I was rummaging through the basement at home and uh, came across um, some stuff there in a case kind of that I had stowed away a long time and I, I couldn't remember what was in there. And I popped it open, I looked, and there was a file folder filled with old letters and one glance at it, I knew exactly what it was. They were love letters. This particular case was from my wife, Carla. Um, I I have fond memories of the time period when we dated long distance. She was in Iowa. I was in Minnesota, both of us in school and working. And uh, we dated that way, long distance, three hours apart for three years. Now, some of you guys don't know what that would be like back in the Stone Age when that was all taking place. This was pre-email. This was pre-text messaging or cell phone. And long-distance calls were expensive. If you ever seen the Flintstones, you see what a telephone looks like, kids. So I would look for letters in the mail, and Carla was so faithful and so good and clever that she would write these creative and beautiful love letters to me, and I'd get sometimes three or four a week. And I would tear that thing open. I'd read every word. I'd reread it and reread it. It's like I could just hear her voice. It would say, Dear Ben. But I knew what she was thinking when she wrote Dear Ben. She was thinking like, You, you gorgeous hunk of a man. That's what she was thinking. I know. Um, those letters, those letters connected us long distance over three years and they forged a relationship that allowed our marriage to become what it is today. Those letters were so important. I didn't set out to memorize them or study them or parse them or diagram the sentences, although I could just about do that with some of them because I I read them and they meant so much to me. But why did I have that hunger for those letters? Why did they mean so much to me? 
or because they were from someone who loved me and they were from someone I love, right? Friends, the Bible, the story is, is a letter from the God who loves you and it is, it is in many ways a personal letter from the lover of your soul. And some of you don't believe that, but you're going to be surprised to discover it's true as you read through and hear the story. He wrote it and gave it because he wanted to say, here's who I am, and he wanted a relationship with you. God wants to get to know you, and he's going to use the story in this church and in this community and this fellowship to get to know a lot of people. If you'll open your heart and open that book, it'll happen. There's a big difference, I want to just say before we move off this point. There's a big difference, isn't there, between knowing about God and knowing about His story and truly knowing God Himself. You see the difference? There's a big difference between knowing the story and knowing the God of the story. Knowing about God and knowing God Himself. And I want to just make sure you're always asking that question as we're maybe getting fascinated with different details and parts of the story because there's so many fascinating parts of it. We never want to lose sight of our ultimate goal, and that is to not just learn the story, but to learn about and to know the God of the story. Because Christian people are famous for confusing knowledge and intimacy. We always confuse knowledge and intimacy. In, in the church, we, we Christians, we get very excited about systems of learning that result in knowledge, see? That's why we want to have a Bible study with a workbook and a curriculum with a Bible homework and little blanks you can fill in. And we send our kids to vacation Bible school and I went to Bible college and I went to Bible seminary. And you can do all of that stuff and you can become a Bible scholar and you can quote the whole thing and know it inside and out and you can say the books of the Bible while you're standing on your head, say it backwards in French in four seconds flat with one breath if you want to, but none of that is the same as knowing God, knowing the God behind the story. The God who has come to your story and said, I want to know you. I want you to know me. That's what we're doing here. That's where this is going. So I just plead with you to see that difference. You know, one, you've maybe heard uh, me tell about my friend Vince who uh, was going through a kind of a, a tough time in his marriage. Um, they just weren't really connecting much. And uh, being a pastor, he was kind of embarrassed about that. He went to a counselor, and the counselor said, tell me about your relationship. He says, oh, when we met, it was awesome. You know, we used to, we used to hang out. We'd play Yahtzee. We'd go play tennis. We'd order a pizza. We'd just sit and look in each other's eyes, and we'd talk. And, and he said, well, what's going on now? And he says, oh, now we just drive around and shuffle the kids and don't really do much. We've just kind of grown cold, and we don't really do much anymore and what should we do and the counselor just wisely said you need to go back and do the things he used to do You're like what do what you used to do go play yahtzee go play tennis order a pizza and look in each other's face get some face time change rearrange your schedule do whatever you need to do so that some of those things that were feeding and nourishing that relationship can happen again. You know all you need to know about each other. They needed to know each other again, didn't they? And so that's what they did. They planned a date night. <laughs> they planned a date night and they played tennis or Yahtzee or ordered a pizza. And the date night wasn't the goal so that they could get together once in a while. The goal was that they would have a date life like they used to. 
And friends, we need to do that in our walk with God sometimes. If wherever you are with God, this, this whole thing we're doing with this story is your opportunity to, to like plan a date night with God. It'll help you bring back into your life the very things that will give you face time with God and give you an opportunity to connect with Him in a way that He desperately wants to connect with you. Maybe you're kind of fading in your faith commitment. Maybe life has just gotten hard. Maybe your relationship with God is like Vince's marriage was. Maybe you're on top of cloud nine. I don't know, but I know this. If you'll open your heart and open that book, at the same time, you'll not only learn the story, you'll learn about the God of the story. And more than that, you'll have a relationship with him, this God who loves you. You'll know God's story. Number two, you will know the God of the story, the God in the story. And finally, and this may be the most dramatic impact in some of our lives, the third thing that will happen if you open this book and open your Bible, open your heart, is that God will change your story. God will change your story. You, you've got a story. Your life to this point is a story. You've got unwritten pages in the days and months and years ahead, as long as you've got breath, you've got unwritten pages. And that story can be changed. We, you know, someone once said, we change primarily through the influence of the people we know and the books we read. We change primarily through the influence of the people we know and the books we read. Think about what's going on here in the story. If that sentence is true, and I believe it largely is, you're going to get to know God's book and you're going to get to know the God behind the book, and that is going to bring change to your life. For most of his life, Chris Travis, a friend of ours who lives in New York City, uh, was an atheist. Uh, in high school, he dove very deeply into philosophy and got started reading things by Nietzsche about his existentialism and his nihilism and uh, his God is dead. He started reading Marx in college and got into philosophy like that. Everything's in material terms and so forth. And, and in college... Chris just hung his hat on that kind of perspective. And that philosophy worked out for him well enough for a while. Kind of his defining narrative until some things that weren't in his script happened to him. And his life fell apart. Without going into too much detail, you can kind of imagine a college student had a string of self-destructive decisions, a string of bad relationships, and he dropped out of college and his story took an unexpected turn at that point, and he began to ask a lot of questions. The questions, big ones, like, a, what's the meaning of life? And he said he felt like he was in a fog, asking, you know, what's the point? Where is this all going? He doesn't know why, but one day, he was going for a pizza. And on the way home from picking up the pizza, he stopped off at a bookstore, walked in, and there was a Bible, and he bought it. He didn't believe the Bible. In fact, he was pretty convinced the Bible was... You know, for someone like him, an educated person, the Bible was, was not, you know, something that he would ever have to believe or want to believe. But as an educated person, he should be familiar with it. He never actually read it. So he picked it up. He picked up this thing called the King James Version, which is the these and the thous. And he was a Shakespeare student, and he liked Shakespeare, so it actually resonated with him. And he read the whole thing through. And when Chris tells his story, it's very exciting because he, he was just, he says, I was so surprised. He was so shocked by what he found in the Bible. It was nothing like what he expected it to be. 
He had all these preconceived notions about it. Parts of it read like a fast-paced novel, you know. The stories were interesting, and that shocked him. It it surprised him how gritty and real and R-rated it was. Um, He expected the Bible to kind of twist reality or soften it or shrink things down to kind of a chicken soup for the soul kind of approach, and it didn't do any of that. And the God behind the story snuck in through the story and started grabbing onto Chris's story, and that surprised him more than anything. Chris began to say things like this, if there really was a God, you know, I think he might be like this God in the story. You know, kind of powerful, kind of mysterious, hard to grasp, and yet up to something purposeful and at work living out a story that he's writing. He began to kind of make sense in his philosophical mind. And then Chris says, when I got to Jesus, I was absolutely blown away. He was so countercultural, so unique, so, so unusual. I thought, you know, people couldn't cook this guy up. You can't make this stuff up. It's too good to be fiction. And then he found himself kind of, as he says, falling in love with Jesus. Like I wanted to be like him, like a kid kind of wants to be like Batman or some hero he sees in a movie. I wanted to act like him. The more he read, the more he had kind of an ongoing conversation and began to open some of his heart as he opened that book. And he realized there was something supernatural about these documents, that they weren't just another text to parse and analyze like Shakespeare. He began to think more and more about how his own life was so messed up and how the God of the Bible had a larger story that could help him make sense of his own story. And that door was opened and his heart was given over to the Lord Jesus. He was baptized. Today, Chris is a pastor of a thriving, successful church in New York City. Given his life to the Lord and it all began when he picked up the Bible and began to hear with fresh ears a story that he thought he knew, but he didn't know. And I think, I'd just like to ask you, when you, when you go into this, just listen to it like an atheist would. Pretend you've never heard the story. Come with as much skepticism as you want to and let it shock your pants off. Let God just surprise you. Let happen to you what happened to Chris. If you open your heart and you open that story, at the same time it will. God will change your story. I love the phrase by Charles Spurgeon, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life isn't. It'll change your story, your life, the way that you think about life. 2 Timothy says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful in our lives. It's useful. This is useful stuff. It's gonna, what's it going to do? It's going to teach us what's true. It's going to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. You ever wonder, well, something's wrong and I can't figure out what it is. Your story will find answers in the story. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right and God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Your life will be gooder because of the story. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's alive and powerful. It's sharp and it cuts down to the deepest place that we are. Friend, what you need is in the Bible. With a story you want is in the Bible. Remember that? Some of you remember the old commercial for Prego, Prego uh, spaghetti sauce. Kid comes into the kitchen, he smells the Prego, you know, the, the, the sauce, and, and he says, uh, hey, Ma, you know, I see you got tomato sauce there. Where's the mushrooms? And she's stern. She says with a smile, it's in there. 
You know, and he says, but where's the tomatoes? He can't. And she says, it's in there. You know, and he says, but what about the sausage? And he, she says, it's in there. And that's the Prego commercial. I don't know if you even remember that. You know, when you're looking for peace of mind in your story, in your life, friends, it's in there. That's where it is. It's not in here. It's not out there. It's, it's in God. When you're looking for some comfort, when you're going through a hard time, it's in there. What about wisdom for decisions? What about counsel, encouragement? When you're looking for hope, it's in there. God has stirred it all in there. It's in the recipe. It's already right out of the jar. Here it is. You want to learn about leadership? Read Nehemiah. You want to learn about financial management? Read the book of Proverbs. You want to read about how to get along with a difficult box? Read, read the book of Daniel. You want to learn how to romance your wife? It's all there, in there, in Song of Songs. Deep in your prayer life? You know how to handle a crisis? It's in the book of Psalms. Have joy in the midst of, of trials? That's in the book of Philippians. Power? It's in there. Deliverance from struggle? It's in there. Hope? It's in there. A brand new you? It's in there. I'm excited. I hope you are too, like kids in a fourth grade classroom. I want to ask you four favors, four favors before, um, before we close. Four commitments I'm hoping you'll make, okay, uh, before, before we go. Number one, just, I want to urge everyone, get the book, okay, and read a chapter a week. Our entire uh, church at all levels is going to go through this together. Read the chapter. Um, you can read two pages a day, okay, 14 pages a week. If you, can't do, if you can do that, two pages a day, 14 a week, you'll make it all the way through, and we'll come through together, okay, holding hands. So read chapter one this week. And then we're going to talk about it um, later, all right? If you need the Spanish version or the audio version, listen to it in your car or whatever, you can do that. We've made these so that um, 10 bucks and you get two. That's the second point. The second commitment I'm going to ask you is decide who God is telling you to give a copy of this story away to. Take a look at this video, which I'll maybe give you some ideas. The other one is for my son, Matthew, because he does a lot with the homeless ministry in Aberdeen. So I figured somebody there surely could use the story. My daughter-in-law, and I hope to start a group with her and one of her friends. I got a couple of these books here, and I'm going to give them to some people that don't know Jesus. And I'm going to tell them, this is the real story. Get out of this fake when you're living and get in the real one. God bless you. Well, this is my second set of two. My first set of two, it was on my heart. My grandbaby's um, daycare provider is kind of new to the neighborhood, and we've told her about Mountain. So I went over and I figured if I can't get her on Saturday, maybe Thursday nights with the Mountain Riders. Um, right now, I'm actually debating giving it to one of my neighbors who I've been trying to talk to come into Mountain Christian Church. One I was giving to a friend who was going through a grief process, and I thought it would be really nice for him to join us in the story, just to lift his spirits up, you know, and to build his relationship with Christ. Well, they're twins, and they don't go to church very often, so I figured I'd take them to small group with me and get them involved. Very good. I'm giving one to my friend Mary Kay and one to my friend Sharon so that we can go through this together. They teach a small group in Baltimore that nobody even attends Mountain. 
So I'm going to be using these in that small group and as well mail one of them to a friend of mine. So I have some more of them to buy yet. I'm a project manager on a commercial construction site, and so I want to lead a group uh, at there at my workplace. We feel compelled to bring this to our workplace. We're teachers, and so um, we're going to ask colleagues to join us after school once a week. Uh, I plan to share them with my friends, give them away. It's not my friends, so. So how many you have there you're going to give away? Uh, I have ten, keeping one for myself and giving nine away. Yeah. Okay, so that's the second commitment. Who's God calling you to give some books away? You can buy as many books as you want, five bucks a copy after, after your first one. Third commitment, would you invite someone, invite a friend or a neighbor, a co-worker to one of the weekend experiences here. Invite them starting next week. You know, one out of four people said that they would say yes to an invitation to come with a friend to church if asked. But only about 2% of Christians nationwide actually ever invite someone. So we're better than that. And this is a perfect opportunity. So you be one of those who's going to keep praying for people but inviting them. And then finally, our fourth commitment, I want to ask you uh, is to huddle up with some other people. To be able to talk about this. Have some conversation and discuss these things for spiritual growth. Good things are going to happen if you Velcro yourself to the story and to some other people. So get together with some other people. We've got tools to help you, videos, study guides, questions in the back of the book. You won't have to prepare a lot. Just get together with some friends, people you enjoy being with. And, and, and uh, start new groups at work or in your neighborhood. Or if you need help, we'll connect you with the group. That's the fourth commitment. Friend, I think in, the, in 190 years at Mountain, I don't know if there's ever been a more exciting thing than what we're about to embark on right now. And I hope you be all in because it's going to be epic. All right? We'll start in with our reading immediately, and then we'll come back next week for week one. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story that is unfolding in our lives. The story that you began ages ago and the story that you have written through ordinary people like, like the ones I'm talking to right now. You are our God and you are our help in ages past. And so we ask you, Lord, to author something beautiful in our lives and in this church and this community as a result of our devoting ourselves uh, to this study. Help us to know you above all. And change us, we pray. Amen.